Hi, listeners. Listen to the podcast, The Total Podcast, with me, your host, Phil Scott. Follow the podcast on Instagram, at PodcastPhil, and catch episodes of The Total Podcast with Phil Scott on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to The Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. Today, my guest is author and airline pilot, Aaron Murphy. Aaron, thank you so much, so very much for coming on the show today. I very, I very much appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to do the podcast. So thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Phil. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thank you. Well, you have such an interesting story, and I, I, I can't wait to get started. Um, you're an airline pilot, and when I was doing my research, I saw that you fly 767s. Wow. Yes. yes. So I feel I've, that really humbled me because I'm just a drone pilot. <laughs> so I fly drones, so I can't fly airplanes, so hats off to you, Aaron. That's, well, that's... the drone flying is... is quite the skill set. I mean, a lot of uh, aviation um, college curriculums are adding that in. It's, 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 it's blossoming. So don't sell yourself short. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I know how to fly one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, it was quite interesting. I learned a couple of years ago and um, it's just been just a joy. It's been fun. And I, I've done real estate work and that kind of thing. So it's been fun. It's been fun. And I, I, I fly for fun too just all over the place. I've flown in the mountains, um, over the ocean. So it's, it's, it's a really, it's a good profession, but it's a good hobby too, I think too. Agreed, agreed. Yep, and I like to dabble in both um, so I can understand it from both those perspectives. So I, I can't wait to talk to you about you flying and such, but first of all, I'm gonna get into some of the things that I've learned about you. Okay. Well, you're, you're an international airline pilot. And like I said, earlier you fly 767s that's pretty cool yes and you're involved in dog rescues and that's that's what i wanted to talk about the book that you're um, working on and so i'm going to ask you about that and some other things so um without further delay here we go so aaron first of all why don't you share with us your background where you grew up um do you have any siblings um your schooling where you went to college that kind of thing Sure. I grew up, um, born and raised in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up um, in a humble background, a small 800 square foot, one floor house. We heated our house with coal, literally had coal delivered. So the whole um, uh, coal mining um, vibe was really my life. <laughs> it was really a part of it. I mean, if the fire went out, there was no hot water. Mm -hmm. um, so I had absolutely wonderful parents who um, saw that I was very excited um, at the local air show in Scranton. That's really where I became interested and expressed an interest in flying. Um, a friend of a friend of my father's um, knew an instructor 
Um, and again, with my parents' guidance, um, however, but I've, I financially paid for every single penny of my flying. So I started flying when I was 14 years old wow. and I used to just do it periodically. I would save money from babysitting from the month and maybe do once a month. And then 16 years old is the youngest age that you can solo at. So I started to, um, I worked at McDonald's. I was a hostess at the local seafood restaurants. So I was getting a little bit more money in my pocket. And so I did solo and did a couple of solo um, cross countries. And then once I decided to pursue it for college, um, I pumped the brakes um, just to come up with a financial plan. And then I went to an aviation school in New Hampshire, which saddens me to say that they have closed their doors, but the name of the college was Daniel Webster College um, in Nashua, New Hampshire. And um, I was able to walk to the airport right from my dorm room. It was a very small, intimate school. It was only a thousand students, wow. um, but it was a wonderful program. We flew motor gliders, we did aerobatics, and then I became an instructor there. So my degree is a bachelor's degree in flight operations. That's the title of it. Um, after flight instructing for several years, I flew for a corporate company in Manchester, New Hampshire, that um, single engine turboprop Pilatus PC-12. Um, corporate, you know, fractional ownerships. Um, and then from there, I started to get a little interested in the airline life, but airlines were never really my goal. I just knew I wanted to fly and I just um, was happy to kind of see where it took me. So I flew for a company um, that is modeled from the, or I guess I should say the TV show was modeled from it. Wings. Are you familiar with? Yes. Wings? Yeah. So I yes, flew Tim for- Daly was on that show. Yes. Yes. I flew for Cape Air. And in fact, a little fun fact is the actual aircraft that was used to film that show. I actually have hours in that actual aircraft. Very um, cool. Cape airplane. So that's as close as fame as I'm probably ever going to get. So I've got a, any opportunity I could boast about it. I'm going to go ahead and take it. So I'm <laughs> going right now. <laughs> That's so, very cool. Uh, yes, I flew for Cape Air for two years. Um, I initially started flying the mail there. So as in the postal mail, the Cape Fair had an air service from Hyannis, Massachusetts to Nantucket and delivered um, huge you know, containers of mail. The seats would come out of the back of the Cessna 402 nine, nine passenger um, aircraft. And then when it was time, uh, a busy weekend, the seats would go back in and would go into passenger service. And then ultimately I um, start, flew passengers there uh, I did that for almost everything is two years. April is my month of change. Every time I got a new flying job was the month of April. Interesting. I know, very weird pattern. <laughs> Spring, new beginnings, the whole thing. It can get very spiritual if you think about it heavily, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, so then I, uh, this was after 9-11, so I was confused. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. And every job that I got, I always had this feeling of, well, maybe this is it. Maybe flying the Pilatus for the fractional is it maybe no that doesn't feel right maybe Cape Air is it you know I like this I have family in the area um, and then every place I I was at I, something started to shift and what shifted for me was was after 9-11 and there was a lot of major airline pilots furlough that were flying at Cape Air and I interpreted their frustration as oh they just lost something really good they're, they're upset and they're frustrated because there's something going on there. You know, of course they're frustrated because of all the obvious reasons I think we can all list, but right. what they felt like they lost, they were grieving. They felt like a big loss. And I thought, okay, I need to check this airline thing out. And so how I reconciled it in my head was, okay, Aaron, what's the big deal? You go and fly for a major airline or even a regional airline for five to 10 years 
and you don't like it, but you've got a feather in your cap. Hey, at a dinner party, I flew for an airline for five to 10 years. Like what is so horrible about giving it a shot? And so that's kind of what ended up motivating me. Um, so then again, in April, I got on at a regional airline at the time called Chautauqua Airlines, flying an Embraer 145, a, a regional jet, about 43 passengers. Um, and then my two years was up there and I got hired on at Continental Airlines in 2006 on the Boeing 737. Um, I lived in Houston and then I transferred out and changed aircraft type. That's when I started flying both the 757 and the 767. I've been on that equipment type since 2008 in Newark, New Jersey. And I'm primarily fly international, my favorite. Now, when you're flying like 737, 757s, 767s, is there a huge difference at all in flying the, those three different planes? You know, there is. The, the, um, there, there's a feel factor. Um, I would, you know, describe it as a difference of um, having power steering or not. Not like either one is not doable, but it just takes a matter of, of getting used to it. You know, it's hopping in a, um, you know, a sports car versus um, a minivan. It's going right. to take you a minute to kind of, <laughs> you can do it, but it's going to take a minute. And so that's where all the training and things goes in, um, comes into play. Um, you know, about every time you change an aircraft, it's usually about six weeks of, of training at uh, training campus. And so United's training campus is in, um, Denver, Colorado. So mm -hmm. it looks like the size of like a small community college. And I believe at the moment they have about over 40 or zero simulators. Um, so they're, they're ready to, they're not going to let you walk out of there until you, till you're feeling good about yourself in addition to them. Now, when you first got your initial pilot's license, how many hours of flight time did you have to have? Um, so I believe it's 40 for your private pilot license. I can't imagine that has changed. I haven't looked at that in quite some time, but, um, yep, that's, that's about it. So, and then when I graduated college, I had probably just shy of maybe 300 hours and that's probably around the flight instruction, um, avenue flight time that most graduates would have. And then, yeah, and I, I kind of linger on that because flight instruction is not the only thing you need to do as soon as you graduate, but that's just what my path was, and it's a popular one. Hi, listeners. Listen to the podcast, The Total Podcast, with me, your host, Phil Scott. Follow the podcast on Instagram, at podcast phil and catch episodes of the total podcast with phil scott on youtube hi listeners listen to the podcast the total podcast with me your host phil scott follow the podcast on instagram at podcast phil and catch episodes of the total podcast with phil scott on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Consumers, Cars, Tech Talk, and More with me, your host, Phil Scott. Today, I'm honored to have as my guest, race car driver and engineer, Saber Cook. So without further delay, let's speak to Sabre. 
So first of all, Saber, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for agreeing to come on. Um, I've been looking forward to this. So first of all, I would like to go over a list of your accomplishments so far in your career. Um, so first of all, when I talk about your, um, your entry into the W series, now you were in the inaugural season of the W series, correct? Yes, I was. And you were one of 18 drivers in that series. So that's a pretty select group of young ladies. Also, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also you were the, in 2018, you were the Infinity Engineering Academy um, winner. And that was 2018. Uh, some of the other things you've accomplished, you were an eight times Colorado state champion. Um, you were a 2012 Supercarts USA two times, I believe, or S2 national champion. And another one that really impressed me too, you were the first female to qualify for a KZ World Championship main event. And Sabre, the list goes on and on and on and on. So first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, um, where you grew up, where you went to school, and how you got started into racing. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, so I was actually, I was born, um, my father and my mother used to run Supercross events because my dad used to race motorcycles professionally, like motocross and Supercross. And they used to run um, local Supercross events. And my mom actually ended up having to be taken to the hospital from one of those events that they were having to give birth to me. Um, and my dad obviously went with her. So straight from Supercross track to, wow. to the hospital when I was born. And then uh, my, my mom and my father, didn't they didn't want my brother and I getting into motorcycle racing. So they got us into karting um, when I was about eight years old. And my dad and his, uh, his brother and uh, a couple of investors, they ended up building a karting track. And so I grew up most of my childhood running around this karting track in Grand Junction, Colorado is where I grew up. Uh, the karting track is still there, still an amazing track and is always one of, I think, one of the best um, karting tracks in the U.S. So I'm uh, very lucky to have to have been raised there. Um, I grew up in, and was raised, uh, like I said, in Grand Junction, went to Fruit Monument High School, and then I went on to go to Colorado School of Mines um, in Golden, Colorado for my undergraduate and uh, graduated from there in 2017 with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. And uh, all while continuing to race um, carts from the time I was eight years old and then obviously progressed into more uh, like like you mentioned, more national, international categories as I got older right. and then um, continued to, to race carts up until I was 22. And finally, I I mean, that's very late to make the transition to cars, but I, uh, I just I never had the sponsorship and the funding enough to move into a full season or, or anything in cars. So I was, you know, still getting to that limit, like about ready to give up hope. And then I was able to, to get someone behind me and uh, had my first car race in 2017 in April, um, just before I turned 23. So getting the, the sponsorship is huge in racing, isn't it? I mean, and it's not particularly easy to do. <laughs> no, if it was easy, uh, then uh, this would be a much different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I just and I've, I've heard stories about other drivers that that have just kind of gone through the process of trying to get sponsors and then to finally get into racing. And one really inspiring story for me just recently was the winner of the Daytona 500. How many, okay, I guess he raced over 300 some odd races in NASCAR before he finally won a race. And it just happened to be the Daytona 500. So, I mean, it's <laughs> just it's kind of a crazy race. To, oh yeah. Yeah. To I was watching, win, I guess like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was the, watching this, the finish was insane. Like, yeah, yeah, I was watching the finish and I was, I mean, I was really, gosh, it must have been like the last 20 or so laps I was watching and I was like, wow, how is this going to end? Because you, you hear the commentators go back and forth about how they thought it, it might turn out. And yeah. they, they had mentioned about things happening on the last lap of the race. Well, sure enough, something happened on the last lap of the race. <laughs> it's like, oh something. my gosh. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that finish. And it yeah, seems, it was, it was impressive. Yeah. It seems to me, well, I of, guess maybe not impressive, a little scary, but yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. obviously always concerned for the drivers, but uh, I'm glad that it, it turned out okay. For and it would seem to me, and you would know this far better than me, but it would seem to me, but there's a lot, there's a lot of skill, absolutely a lot of skill in racing, but there's a little bit of luck too. Yeah, there can be. I mean, it's obviously you, you can't control what other people are going to do. So um, I like uh, I like Dr. Delaire's um, theory on that. I don't, I'm not sure if you know uh, Dr. Dr. Delaire. He's um, an amazing mental and performance coach. And he has this uh, this equation, basically. He's like A times B equals C. And A is like the things that you can do and you can control. And like B is everything else you can't control. And C equals the results. So Sometimes, like, obviously, the Daytona 500 finish this year was a really prime example of that. You can't control if someone runs into the back of you and right. takes the chance of winning away on the last lap. So. Right. Yeah, that was. I, I felt kind of bad for the other drivers that just got knocked out of that race, too. Now, yeah. Sabre, uh, I'd like for you to tell me about, because um, you were literally and figuratively, you were born into racing. So, and I think that's an amazing story that you just shared. Like, I, I never would have guessed that. So that's pretty amazing. Um, but would you tell me, because for, for me, it's even equally impressive that you have a degree in mechanical engineering. What was that program like for you to go through that? Um, it was, uh, it was extremely grueling, um, for sure. I, so Colorado School of Mines is, I think it's still, it's still considered the top public engineering college in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And it is known, it, it has a reputation for, um, being extremely hard on its students. Um, they, their kind of goal is to weed you out in the first two 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 years really mm -hmm. and we have like a a, a drop okay could you repeat that last part you you kind of dropped out there you said you were talking about a dropout rate oh can you hear me yeah now i can hear you there you go so you were talking about a dropout okay. rate sorry that's okay yeah so um yeah the so they they're known they're they have a very very high reputation for being a, a very challenging school, um, but they really, really, um, we do get a lot of people that, that are weeded out essentially in the first two years because 
they they like to push you so so much um but i took that as a challenge and i made it through obviously and um it was it was definitely challenging but you just learn how to manage you know those difficult times and manage the schedule and get very good at time management um so it was it was challenging but it was an amazing experience and i am one of those people that just enjoys learning so i i really loved i i loved school since i was young mm -hmm. and it was uh, honestly I, I i i miss school sometimes like i wish i could go back and, and and do more of it um so it was it was a great experience and i had a lot of amazing um classmates as well as professors that actually they some of them actually worked in the motorsports industry and and I, I was a beautiful, it's a small campus. And so it was like, and it's in the mountains a bit. So it's, it was just an awesome place to be able to go to school. So with that, that is the end of this episode of the Total Podcast with me, your host, Phil Scott. Everyone stay safe. Be careful out there. Take care of one another. And we will talk again soon.